and watches over her young ones. Oh, but Father, what love and grace you've bestowed upon us. That you would create us, call us your very own, as we have come through Christ. And we can be called the children of God. Now, Lord, I pray that you might speak through your precious living word once again. And we thank you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles with me this morning, let's turn to Psalm 139. 139, we began this psalm last Sunday. And so we broke it up into two parts. And uh, the first part last Sunday, we looked at verses 1 through 12. But now we're going to look at the rest of the psalm, verses 13 through 24 this morning. And it's amazing how the Lord times things. Because I had no idea that this particular part of the psalm would fall on Mother's Day. And it's incredible how the Lord plans these things. And so, uh, but I want to uh, refresh our memory and read the first 12 verses. So that prepares us again to begin at verse 13. Look with me at Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. And are acquainted intimately with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from thy presence? Where can I go from thy spirit? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold on me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. If you remember as we studied these verses, what was King David saying uh, through these ver verses? We found two wonderful attributes of God in those first 12 verses. They, do you remember what they were? First one was the omniscience of God, all-knowing, and then the omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere and he is always with us. But now these verses 13 through 24, we come to one more great attribute of God. And remember, this is a song of praise. The Lord is praising, uh, uh, David is praising the Lord for his attributes. And in our prayers, this is, should be a reminder to us to always make sure our prayer includes praise. So many times 
We just say, Lord, help me. Give me this. Give me that. Lord, I'm sick or my loved one's sick. And we just ask for things. How often do we stop? And I know I'm so guilty of it to stop in my, in my, and part of my prayer to make it, Lord, I praise you for your omniscience, for your omnipresence. And now we come to the third one here in beginning verse 13 through 24. And the third one is the omnipotence of God. Omnipotence of God. And of course, the word omnipotent refers to God as being almighty, all-powerful, without limit. And so we're going to see here now the omnipotence of God and his power to create us as well as the rest of his creation But let's read 13 through 24 together, if you'd follow along. David continues. For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. If when I awake, I am still with thee. Oh, that thou wouldest slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against thee wickedly. Thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate thee, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against thee? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. And here... Tremendous last two statements by David, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful or wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. We see that David now turns to God and begins to thank him and praise him for his almighty power. And that power, David recognized, was in the smallest of things, in the creation of himself and every living human being that came out of a mother's womb. We see here in verse 13, He says, thou didst form my inward parts. The translation of King James is, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. But that phrase, thou hast formed me, that word formed of the inward parts, 
In the Hebrew, inward parts, the original Hebrew word, when I found this out, it was quite amazing that the Hebrew word for inward parts that we translate inward parts is actually kidney, the kidneys of all things. But this is the word that the Hebrews used, and they would think of the kidneys, but that would represent the inward parts of of, of a whole human being. Now, why they chose kidneys, I don't know. But they knew that that was, that was a, a, a crucial part of a, a person's life. But here, God is recognized by David as creating David every facet of his being from the very beginning. And then we see he says, verse, the rest of verse 13, Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb, or covered me. This word here has the idea of embroidery. How many of you ladies do embroidery? Nobody anymore. Wow. That's, that's a thing in the past, I guess, huh? Oh, my God. How many men? No, don't raise your hand. That's right. Might as well ask. Uh, but, but I know that if you're a grandmother here, uh, I know that we've had ladies, we have ladies in our church here over the years have gone, made beautiful quilts that we've sold at our school auction. And if you ever look at those quilts, how long it takes to make one of those quilts. Now, remember, on, if you flip a quilt over or an embroidery, what do you see on the, the, the backside? It's pretty ugly, isn't it? I mean, if you hung, can you imagine hanging that on the wall or laying it on the bed, the other side? Wouldn't that be beautiful? No. But then you flip it over and, and then you look at it the way it was prepared to look, and it's beautiful. You know, I think of this too sometimes. We look at our own life and sometimes we see the ugliness of it and we see that, you know, just like the other side of an embroidery. And, and we, we, you know, we get so discouraged and down in living in guilt. And we're wondering because God is at work in your life and my life and we're wondering, Lord, what are you doing in my life, suddenly this happens and this happens, and all, all these things that I so unexpected have come upon me and just broken me down, and, and I don't see the beauty of it or the good of it yet. But see, one day I will have the heavenly perspective because God's looking down and He's seeing you as a piece of embroidery, and He's looking on the beautiful side. He's creating something beautiful in you that will one day be revealed in his presence in glory. But David knows that an unborn child, as it is in the mother's womb, is being woven, created by God, the great creator. Then he says in verse 14, I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. Knows it very well. And then verse 15. My frame was not hidden from thee. When I, made, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought 
in the depths of the earth. Here we see again the word skillfully wrought. Again has the idea of embroidery. In fact, the Hebrew, this Hebrew word uh, is used only eight other times in scripture. And it's used to describe needlework in the tabernacle. And also clothing that was described in the book of Exodus. So he's talking about his frame as an unborn child that God, you did it. You framed me. My frame was not hidden from thee in secret. And I I was skillfully wrought. And then he says in the depths of the earth. Now, if you retake that literally, it kind of doesn't make sense. But here, David is speaking poetic language when he talks about the depths of the earth. If you go down to the depths of the earth, you, you are at, nobody can see. And so it is with a mother's womb. That unborn child is, as it were, in the depths of the womb, and nobody can see. But how beautiful when one is able to finally see that newborn child come forth, and the rejoicing that there is. And David is praising God for his great power to do the impossible, to create a human soul, a human being. You know, you think of, of uh, an embryo and the, the way the world looks at it today. How heartbreaking it is to see where we've come in America. We've come so far and so far away from God's word and the sanctity of life that we praise the Lord that at least the, of late the Supreme Court has made that decision to draw us closer back to what God says about life. But that abortion issue will always be a dividing point in America. But if life does not start at conception, then we might as well take this out of the Bible. Might as well just take this passage. This doesn't mean anything. David's wrong, isn't he? If I accept and believe abortion's okay and I look at this, you know, then something's wrong. I'm not thinking right because here David is saying, you're the one, Lord, that wove me from the beginning. Look at verse 16. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance. He saw us before he created us. And in thy book, they were all written. Every aspect of our life. The days were ordained for me as yet There was not one of them. How precious also are thy thoughts for me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. He's thinking of God's power again here. That I should count them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Here again, he's speaking at this point of the the omnipresence of God. 
But think of it again, that in the darkness, God is creating David. As yet, he, he was, God had it all planned, who he would be, how he would come to know the Lord, and God would use him and ordain him to be the king of Israel. Can you imagine if David were able to use an ultrasound back then? <laughs> and he would, I mean, he's speaking from what he believes, what God has told him about himself. But I can just imagine David looking at an ultrasound, you know, in, uh, as one of his children is, is going to be born. And to be able to see that that baby being formed. I can't imagine, you know, talk about David leaping for joy and everything. He, he certainly would have been doing that. Uh, the other Sunday, I, uh, I shared with all of you uh, my tremendous find that I found in the rock garden. I'm getting so much. I mean, here I thought again. I had found a dinosaur egg, shaped like an egg. It was fossilized like a rock. I showed it to you all. And of course, I wrote away to a few universities with pictures, and they, of course, sent it back and said, ah, sorry, it's not a, not a dinosaur egg. That's just a rock. Special kind of rock, but it's, it, it's, a, it's just a rock. How disappointing I was to find because if that were a dinosaur egg, there would have been a dinosaur embryo inside of it. And they, they have those in the Smithsonian Institute. And I thought, boy, I have one. Well, this morning I come into my office. And there sitting on my desk is this amazing thing. I had to bring it out this morning. Look at this dinosaur egg. Look at that. It's even coming out of the shell. Look at that little guy. Can you believe it? Someone laid this on my desk. It's unbelievable. And, 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 and there was a note attached to it. And it said... This may be the real thing. <laughs> Check with the professor. Probably five to seven thousand years old. How do you like the little dinosaur that was in there? Oh my goodness. I, I just I, <laughs> I just laughed and laughed. I couldn't believe it. Whoever did that, thank you. Again, for humiliating me. But, yes, you know, we get the idea. But, but just think of that. Think of, of that creation. That God would create these grand dinosaurs, these huge dinosaurs, and they came out of a small egg. And yet you, you see the fossils of how big they were back then. Oh, what the Lord has done. His creation is marvelous. You know... Uh, when we think of God's omnipotence, 
How, what, what usually triggers our praise for his omnipotence? The creation we see, right? We see the mountains. We see the ocean. We look up. We see the stars, the magnificent universe. We see planets. And you think how vast, how great is our God. How powerful that he could create all this. And yet so many times we forget that the same God that can create big has created small. And sometimes his greatest creations are microscopic, are the smallest things, and the scientists are finding this out. Just for instance, when we think of you and me being born and God putting us all together, Listen to the secular description of the nervous system. And this came from the Cleveland Clinic, a large medical facility worldwide known by, by this uh, medical staff and science, scientists there. This is what they said about the nervous system, okay? Your nervous system guides almost everything you do, think, say, and feel. It controls complicated processes like movement, thought, and memory. It also plays an essential role in the things your body does without thinking, such as breathing, blushing, blinking. Your nervous system affects every aspect of your health, including your thoughts, memory, feelings, movement, such as balance, coordination, your senses, including how your brain interprets what you see, hear, taste, feel, touch, sleeping, healing, aging, heartbeat, breathing patterns, response to stressful situations, digestion, body processes, and, and all kinds of other things. This complex system is the command center for your body. It regulates your body's systems and allows you to experience your environment. A vast network of nerves sends electrical signals to and from other cells, glands, and muscles all over your body. These nerves receive information from the world around you. Then the nerves interpret the information and control your response. It's also like an enormous information highway running throughout your body and I could go on but there's no God that's what they say they see this and describe just the nervous system in our bodies and yet they go yeah but this all just happened it just you know we just came from you know evolution and it just started with a fish millions of years and look how we are today, all by chance. The fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. How sad that the most intelligent people in the world, the ones that have great knowledge of science and medicine are fools. If they don't believe that there's a creator. But this God, David, is making it clear. Lord, I see your microscopic creation in me. 
David looked inward. And he knew that God was in control of everything in his life. Now, look with me then. Notice verse 16 through 18 again. He wrote, Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written. The days were ordained for me, yet as there was not one of them. My days were ordained by thee. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Let's go to Ephesians 2. See what the Apostle Paul had to say. Of course, this is the great passage of grace, salvation by grace through faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's pick it up at verse 8. Verse 8. Here it is. We know we don't work for our salvation. God, God has given us salvation by his grace through our faith. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's what? A gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. So we quote verses 8 and 9. You know, when we talk about giving the gospel. You know, and we share, we share these verses. But we tend to forget verse 10. Look at verse 10. So why were we saved? What was the purpose? God had a purpose for creating you and saving you. For we are his workmanship. Creator, right there. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And he's talking now about our spiritual life. And the, and, and the plan he has for our life, we've been created a new creation in Christ. And what were we created for? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That you should walk in them. We are created for good works. God had a purpose and plan Before you were ever born, his plan was he was going to transform you into the image of his son. And he's creating you for a purpose. And that was to bring good works that would glorify the father. And this was all preordained, preplanned before you were ever created. Turn with me now to Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's go over to Jeremiah, book of Jeremiah Fantastic passage that ties in so beautifully with what David is saying. Because the Lord now speaks to Jeremiah before he begins his ministry. So, book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. And let's pick it up at verse 4. The Lord now speaks to Jeremiah. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I am but a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, 
Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. Here's those good works that God had created Jeremiah for. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build up and to plant. In verse 10 there, he's talking, of course, about Jeremiah being a prophet because he's going he's to prophesy about nations falling or nations rising up. But what is he saying? God wanted Jeremiah to know something. That I knew you before I formed you. And I set you apart before I formed you. Dear Christian, do you understand this? Get a grasp of this this morning. That God knew you before he ever created you. And he set you apart. He planned that he would bring you the gospel of salvation through hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And through him alone, there is salvation. And God planned it before he ever began creating you in the womb. Your purpose and, your, and, and plan was made by God before the foundation of the world. And here you are today. And sometimes we think, well, I can't, I can't do much. You know, what, how can the Lord use me? You know, the Lord doesn't, you know, maybe you're up in age now. You know, and, and your ability to do any, things for the Lord or any kind of special works, good works, um, it, you just feel so down. And maybe, maybe you're even confined most of the time to home. God still has a purpose and plan for your life there. Whatever, as long as you have breath, the Lord wants to use you. If you are just able to pray, you become a prayer warrior. You're one of the greatest servants of the Lord. You're doing one of his greatest works when you pray for others. And you may be alone in your room, alone in your home, and you feel, Lord, I can't do anything else, but you're praying. What a mighty ministry that is. God will never stop using us. And then how about the saint that is on their deathbed? And they are about to enter the presence of the Lord. Have you ever been blessed by the loved one who was ready to leave this earth? And they were sharing with you in their final days? You could see the countenance on their face. Uh, Woody Shearer's uh, sister-in-law, uh, June Hollinger, and it's in the bulletin there. Um, she was in the hospital. She'd been battling throat cancer for, for quite a while. And it just started to eat away at her. And so much so that she could hardly begin to speak anymore. And so I was told she was in the hospital and I had the privilege and blessing of going to see her. I pulled up a chair next to her bed. And there next to her bed, 
um, she, she began to, I, I, I began to come and try and encourage her. I told her about the Lord being her shepherd, that he's here with her, and that he's going to come for her soon. And, and she told me, oh, I'm ready to see my shepherd. I can't wait to see him. And her face just smiled and, and shone like the sun. She had the joy of the Lord in her crippled state on the bed where she couldn't hardly breathe, couldn't hardly talk. But what was she doing? She was glowing for Jesus Christ because Christ was in her. The spirit of the Lord Jesus was in her. And to her last breath, she was glorifying God through her good works, even though she could not do anything physically. My friends, don't think that you ever come to a place where God can't use you, that he has a, he has a plan to use you in the worst suffering that you may have to experience. He wants to be glorified. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 real quick. And I did want to reach this point, Luke 1. Because as, again, as David talks about God knowing the, our plans, our future, he has them prepared. But Luke chapter 1, verse, and look at verse 11. Verse 11 and it's amazing that, Dale, you would, you would mention Mary this morning and carrying the Lord Jesus in her womb. Because here, Luke 1, the angel of the Lord came to Zacharias in the temple because he is going to prophesy the coming of John the Baptist. So look with me. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of the incense and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will give him the name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine, no liquor, Okay, God, so you see God's plan for John the Baptist before he was ever born or created? But look what he says at the end of verse 15. And oh, this is so easily missed in the Christmas story. He goes on, the angel speaks of John the Baptist. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Did you see that? John the Baptist, his, his, as his, uh, his substance was being formed by God in the womb of Elizabeth, what did God say? I'm putting my spirit in that unborn baby. How sacred is life? And once again, we see it here that his spirit was there. And then jump over once Mary and Elizabeth meet, verse 39. Just go down to verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose, went with haste to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias 
and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a voice and said to Mary, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. There is God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. And the rest of Psalm 139, David goes on to speak about how he, he gets angry over those who hate God. He hates the enemies of God. And so he's, he starts to uh, tell God, I hate the, the enemies that are against you. Now, of course, in the, uh, the Lord Jesus told us to love our enemies. So we're not supposed to have that kind of spirit. But that was a righteous indignation that David had. But my friends... I want you to take with you then these last two verses and real quick, turn back to 139 and look at 23 and 24, the last two verses. David then says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. Know my heart. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. What, what a desire of David to ask God to do this. Would you and I, as we leave here this week, as we say, Lord, I believe that you can do anything. You've created me and you still have a purpose for me and a plan to use me. But Lord, I need to be a clean vessel. So search my heart. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way or bad thoughts or sin in my life, in my heart, so that I can confess it and I can, I can know that I'm clean and ready, fit for the master's use. Would we have this prayer in our heart? Let's pray together. This morning, as we bow before the Lord, dear Christian, perhaps the Lord is speaking to your heart and you realize how special you are to him, that you have been created before the foundation of the world. He had a purpose and plan for you. He formed you, created you, and now here you are. You've come to know Christ and you've been born again. You've had a second birth, which we all need in order to get to heaven. And you have put your faith and trust in Christ. But now God wants to continue to use you for his glory. Would you say, Lord, search my heart. Know me. Know my heart. Show me anything in my life. If I have any hurtful, harmful ways that would hurt me and hinder my work for you. Would you do that, Christian? And then say, Lord, I'm willing to be used. Here I am. And give yourself afresh to the will of God.
If you're here without Christ, you don't know the Savior, I invite you to open your heart right now and accept him by faith. For you don't know what it's like to have your sins forgiven, have the joy of the Lord, have a reason for living, and know that if you die, you have life beyond this life, a home in heaven, eternal life. But it's free gift to you if you would but trust Christ this morning. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, the one who died for you on that cross and took the punishment for your sin, receive him now. Would you pray this simple prayer with me? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now a child of God. You have been born again this very moment. Jesus has entered your life through his spirit. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your powerful, powerful word. Thank you, Lord, for creating us and setting us apart for your use. Father, may we live in a way that will please and honor you, that when Jesus returns, we might hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.